This is Ethics and Etiquette, a thought-provoking discussion about everyday dilemmas. Our goal here is to offer you insights and perspectives on sticky situations that will help you examine your choices and exercise your own ethical muscles. I'm your host, Marna Ashburn, here with wife, mother, and attorney, Kelly Halligan-Zimmerman. Good morning, Kelly. Hi, Marna. Hi, Mike. And Mike Derrick, a retired Army officer, combat vet, and father of four. Hi, Mike. Hey, good morning, Marna, and good morning, Kelly, and I'd like to say good morning to all of our listeners. And welcome to all of our listeners. Welcome to what we like to call our Etiquette Quick Hit. This is a short, focused show where we revisit a fundamental lesson in good manners. If you've got an idea for a quick hit, send it to us at inbox at ethicsandetiquette.com. We'd love to hear from you. Today's topic is forms of address. Two things specifically. How should medical professionals address their patients? And should kids call other adults, their friends' parents, for example, or friends of their parents, should they call them by their first names? Let's start with the question of kids and adults. Quick story. I was with my friend Carrie, who is my age and has five, soon to be seven grandchildren, young, age two to seven, who are often with us outside in very informal settings. And she asked me what I wanted them to call me. Do you want them to call you Mrs. Ashburn, she said? Well, that seems a little formal and stuffy to me. I said, why don't they call me Miss Marna? To me, that's respectful without being too formal. I was in the South when I started a family, and that was the general rule in the neighborhood. I liked it then, and I like it now. What do you guys think? Mike, let's start with you. I agree. Um, that tends to be the way we did things in the military. Clearly, it's a, an environment where rank is uh, an everyday part of life, and forms of address are an everyday part of life. And so that sort of translated into the neighborhood, because we often lived in a military neighborhood. So kids would call me Mr. Mike. At the time, I probably was a stay-at-home dad, but still, I was Mr. Mike. So that's uh, something I'm very familiar with also, Marna, and very comfortable with. Yeah, I think my kids called you Mr. Mike. <laughs> yeah, it seems like I have that vague memory somewhere. <laughs> right. I wonder they if they'll little. still do that. <laughs> when <Talk> Stephen's <laughs> taller than you now. so <laughs> uh, Kelly, what are your thoughts? I think you should always side on being formal, and I think that's what your friend Carrie did, right? She gave you the option. Would you like this or would you like that? And I think that's very courteous and thoughtful. We always tried to teach our children that you should always side on being formal, that that is the most respectful approach until the individual tells you otherwise. And you were given that option uh, with Carrie's grandchildren. So I always think you start with Mr. or Mrs. or Ms. and let the person correct you and say, no, you know, please call me Kelly or please call me Miss Kelly. Let that individual kind of dictate how things should go. Uh, but I think you always should be formal. Yeah, I agree. Start out being formal. Another quick story. My son and I went to visit a college friend of mine once. And on the way, I said to him, now, my friend can be pretty old school, so call her Mrs. Smith when you talk to her. So when I introduced my son to her, she stuck out her hand to him and she said, Hi, I'm Susan. So there you go. That was his cue to address her as Susan. Now, I should say I called her mother Mrs. Holden for 30 years. Her mother never, ever said to me, Please call me Sarah, and I didn't. So yeah. mm -hmm. make it clear what you wish to be called, and that will help things run smoothly. There's a very strong generational element here. And I think, you know, we all, as we discussed this episode beforehand, we agreed that, 
you know, we've become more informal. Some would see that as a good thing. Many see it as a bad thing. I know my father, you know, living in this small rural community, he must have encouraged it. I don't remember how this was, but he was always Mr. Derek to, like, even neighbors, which I found a little weird. So, um, His but, contemporaries? No, to, like, younger, younger people, people who would be a generation younger. Oh, okay. You know, when he was an, an elderly guy. That makes sense, though. And the other thing is, when you're used to calling somebody uh, a certain name, it's hard to switch. You know, to your example, Marna, I have a couple of close friends, and their, you know, their moms are still alive. And, you know, I think in one occasion, the mom corrected me and, you know, said, you know, call me Susan. I really struggled. I didn't want to address her. I just was so used to calling her, you know, Mrs. Smith, to give an example. It just, it just was really difficult, and I, I felt uncomfortable. So, so sometimes were you an adult hard. when she said yeah. that? Oh yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It just can be hard to to make that change. So maybe that was what was going on, Mike, with with your dad, and yeah. everybody mm-hmm. just knew him as Mr. Derek, and they were comfortable with that, and that didn't necessarily mean that they didn't feel close to him. Right. Um, right. But I do think just, you know, basic yes, sir, no, sir, yes, ma'am, no, ma'am. I learned that from our time in Texas. I was so impressed by the families we met there. You know, younger moms and dads, manners were very important to them. And they were very, you know, they were tough on their kids. If they didn't say, you know, if they just said yes or no and didn't include ma'am or sir, there was just an immediate... They they would get a thump on the head. (laughs) Well, I wouldn't say a thump on the head, but there was an immediate response from the parent, Mm -hmm. like Mm -hmm. in front of everybody, kind of a look and, excuse me, and then they would, you know, the child would correct it. But when you guys were in the military, I I know your example, Mr. Mike, Mike, but what if you, you know, were out in the neighborhood um, and you were, say, a captain and you saw a, a work colleague who you know, perhaps was a major um, or a lieutenant colonel or something. Mm -hmm. Do you, you know, does your child need to call them by their rank? Do you need to? How does that work? Well, back in that time, I always used rank. I don't, I can't ever remember a work environment where I used a senior's first name. But this is like, is it a work environment if you're like, out in your regular clothes, just oh, yeah. riding your yeah. bike? I mean, or... it doesn't, I mean, that, that's one of the things about the military. It, it's not like you turn it on and you turn it off. So if I run into a guy who I work with who outranks me at the grocery store on the army base, I refer to him as major. Same thing if I met him in Walmart down, you know, in the next town over, without exception. That's my experience. And, and would my you introduce ch- him to your kids as major? I, I would, absolutely, yeah. And, um, and then it's up to him or her to set the context. And I think that's, that's a key thing here in all these relationships is to set the context, set the tone. But within the military, it was, in my experience and in Kathy's experience, it was without fail that you referred to people by their rank. And that was looking up. Now, I would also say looking at uh, people who you outranked. You know, I used to always tell my soldiers that every soldier has a first name. In my units, the units I commanded, I never wanted to hear somebody call out across the courtyard or down the hallway a last name. I wanted a rank on that name. So it was Private Jones or Specialist Miller. And my sergeant sort of looked at me cross-eyed, but it created a, a sense of respect that went both up and down. Interesting. It's a two-way street, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Well, something I read in some of the forums as I was researching for this show, which I found interesting and it made me think, is when your young children are calling the adults on the block, Miss Kelly, Mr. Mike, they're young, they're toddlers, they're elementary school, that's cute. But when they get to be middle school and high school, I noticed something in, in my own children. They stopped calling them Mr. Mike, Miss Kelly, and started with the Mrs. and the last name, Mr. Mr. Derek, Mrs. Zimmerman. It just got more formal. What, what's cutesy, right. uh, you know, right. cute and respectful as toddlers is just kind of weird when they're in high school, mm-hmm. when, they're sh- mm-hmm. when they're shaking the yeah. hands of the adults. And again, cute, you know, adults give cues and they give, they create context and kids don't miss, they don't miss that stuff. And if they do, they're maybe just being ornery. So let's close out with this quote. I always like to close out with the school solution. And this is actually taken from the Good Morning America website. Lizzie Post, co-president of the Emily Post Institute and an etiquette expert, told Good Morning America that kids should call people what they want to be called. Defaulting to the formal is always appropriate unless told otherwise, Post said. So if you're unsure, use Mrs. or Ms. Jones. If Ms. Jones then says, call me Kara, then you respond, of course, thank you. It's more awkward to go from less formal to more formal, Post said. Start with the most formal and you can't go wrong. Kelly, you mentioned that your aunt brought something up with you knowing that you do this podcast and this is a concern of hers because she's a has a medical background, and she's concerned with this current trend of how medical professionals address patients in a very casual manner. You want to tell us what she said? Sure, Marna. And my aunt was a nurse anesthetist. Uh, well, she still is, but she's retired. Um, she worked for over 30 years in the profession and was taught, I think, you know, in a very formal fashion. Till the day she retired, she would introduce herself to her patients by providing her full name, her, her profession. I'm going to be your nurse anesthetist today. She always had her name tag on and she always referred to her patient as, hello, Mrs. Smith, or hello, Mrs. Ashburn, I'm so-and-so and I'm going to be your nurse anesthetist today and I'm going to be caring for you. And, you know, always very respectful and caring towards that person. She was telling me about recent medical appointments she's gone to and how disappointed she was in, you know, the way uh, she was addressed. And I think a lot of that is a lack of training and instruction, um, you know, in the medical office for the employees. And I think, uh, I think part of it is what we've been talking about, which is just our society moving away from formality and, and I would say manners. And she had some pretty, pretty disappointing stories, kind of harrowing stories, I would say, where, you know, you go to the doctor, uh, the person comes in, does not introduce themselves, you know, says, hey, honey, how are you doing today? Honey? Or the secretary, you know, (laughs) you you know, you go and you check in and 20 year old secretary immediately refers to you by your first name. You're in your 70s or 80s and you're (laughs) referred to. Okay, Kathy, you know, I got you. Sit down. You know, we'll call you in a few minutes, sweetie. You know, something like that. So I think she found that particularly with her background upsetting. She also gave me a few examples of being back in one of the physician's offices waiting and somebody comes in to treat you or perhaps maybe to take your weight and your blood pressure. They just saunter on in 
don't introduce themselves. You don't know, is this an orderly? Is this another secretary? Is this a licensed practical nurse? You have no idea because they're all wearing the same thing, scrubs. Right. They don't have name tags on, uh, which I think she sees as problematic. And this is me speaking. They're always trying to be more than they are. You know, if you're an LPN, you're trying to act like you're a registered nurse. If you're a physician's assistant, you come in and you act like you're the doctor. If you're a resident, you don't let the person know, the patient know that you're a resident. You know, these are really problematic things. And I think it goes along with, you know, manners, treating people with respect and, and, for, and being formal um, with someone until they instruct otherwise. Obviously, letting people know who you are, you know, what your position is and what you're going to be doing. So, for example, the way it should work is the person comes into the office and says, hello, I'm Sally Smith. I'm, I'm a licensed practical nurse. I'm going to be taking your blood pressure and your weight and uh, getting some basic information from you before Dr. So-and-so comes in. When I practice law, you know, in a law office and regularly saw clients, when I would come out to greet a client for the first time, even if it was a younger person, I'd say, hi, you know, I'm Kelly Halligan. Nice to meet you, Mr. Jones. Come on back. And then usually the person would say to me, oh, no, you know, please call me Larry or please call me whatever. And I would say, you know, please refer to me as Kelly as well. And we, we would kind of get going. So you get that out of the way early. Yeah. And, and you raise the issue by, by being formal. And, and, if, and I found often with older clients, they never corrected me. And that was fine. And, and that's how we proceeded. That's what they were comfortable with. And in front of the court, you know, if we had a matter in front of the court, I would be referring to them by their last name for the judge anyways. I'd be saying, you know, Mr. Smith has done this and he's done that, or because that's, that's the setting you're in. Right. What are your thoughts, Mike? Do you agree with Kelly? <laughs> I do. I do. Again, again, what's going on here? This is a new trend. Um, no, I agree with Kelly. I think it's absolutely essential, especially in the medical field. I mean, in a perfect world, there's an absolute bond of trust and confidence between patient and provider. And that tone needs to be set right up front. And it's really incumbent on the medical professional to set the tone, starting at the front desk. I have had it go both ways. I've had very formal providers, and then I've had those who want to default immediately to the informal. And I would tell you one of the complicating things these days is that there are an increasing number of physicians' assistants and nurse practitioners who are the ones making decisions for you and prescribing medicines. You never see a doctor. And the form of address for them is a little awkward. You know, what do you call a PA? You do call them PA Smith or PA Jones and nurse practitioner. That's even more of a Kelly, mouthful. do you know? Do you know the form of address? I would, again, you know, start with, you know, the Mr. or Ms. You know, they're definitely not a doctor and let them correct right. you. Mm -hmm. but, yeah. but in most cases, my, you know, my experience with nurse practitioners and, and PAs is that they introduce themselves by their first name. At least that's what I've had with, with nurse practitioners. Mm -hmm. You know, hi, I'm so-and-so. I'm, you know, I'm Dr. You know, X's nurse practitioner, and, and off you go. I, th I find PAs to be a little bit more slippery, um, <laughs> which is funny, I, because I, th 
I think nurse practitioners are generally better, but I, you know, PAs sometimes come in and, and try oh, to. Kelly, I'm going to have to disagree with you there. <laughs> oh, jeez. I think you've now, you, the, the PAs are up in arms. All of our PA listeners, they've been called slippery. <laughs> well, I just think sometimes they try to present themselves like they're a doctor. Yeah. I guess yeah. that's what I'm getting at. Right. Yeah, we right. talked, Kelly and I talked about this too. I've, I've had this happen to me. I make an appointment with who I think is the doctor. And in actuality, they've made mm-hmm. an appointment with the PA or the nurse practitioner in the office, and right. they don't tell me. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's rude. Mm-hmm. Oh, they I won't. That's rude. They won't. Yeah, you go to you go to see a doctor, and often I've found that like the first visit will be with a doctor if it's a multi-visit sort of thing, and then the follow-up, the results, the analysis, especially in a big practice, that's that's handed off to a PA or a, a nurse practitioner. You know, I have a a dear friend who's a retired physician, and I decided to call her and discuss this with her last night. And uh, she w- came in really, really strong on the fact that in any, you, you, you as a patient should be concerned if you walk into a practice for the first time and you are not treated and addressed in a respectful manner by everybody from the front desk on back, at least that first time until some other arrangement is is obvious, you know, like you're going to default the first names. Everybody needs to be wearing a name tag. Ideally, they are not dressed in just plain old street clothes, but they're in scrubs or they have maybe a lab coat over their um, civilian clothes, their regular clothes. And she just said all those optics are hugely important to, to... first establish and then maintain that bond of trust and confidence that is absolutely essential with, within medicine. So, Yeah, I mean, I couldn't agree with her more. It's all about leadership and, you know, taking every aspect of your practice seriously and putting the patient first. If you're sloppy in this area, you're going to be sloppy in other areas. If you think this is an important, uh, you know, I think it's a slippery slope. And then the next thing you know, well, we don't need to wipe down the tables in between appointments. Oh, I mean, you know, it's not that important. <laughs> oh, I mean, I'm, I'm exaggerating a little, but, you know, it, I couldn't agree, you know, more. And, and it's all about, and you've talked about this, Mike, and you have too, Marna. It's all about communication, mm-hmm, right? right? A patient should clearly understand who they're coming in to see. Right. Period. In other words, you see the doctor the first time, perhaps you have to come back to get stitches out or for a follow-up appointment. You should be told, you know, by the doctor or by whomever you're setting the appointment with, hey, you know, Dr. Smith indicated that when you come back, you do not need to see him. You can see the LPN or our physician's assistant for, you know, a check on X, Y, or Z, just so you know when you're coming back who you're seeing. That that should be made clear. I think some of it too is, and I sort of hate to say this, and maybe you guys will disagree with me, but, you know, as our population ages, you know, we have more, when I say older folks, <laughs> younger gets older for me as I get older. Yeah, <laughs> so, when you say that, Kelly, that sounds like me. But my point is there there seems to be a little bit of a condescension and lack of respect as the population ages for these folks and, and, you know, sort of this casualness. And that needs to stop. And, you know, I think older people often put up with, well, you know, whatever they say, you know, that kind of thing. They're a doctor or they're a nurse. And I think we all should look for a practice that, you know, really does things right 
and puts the patient first, you know, from the minute you walk in the door, you know, until you walk well, out the door. that brings me to my next mm-hmm. question. Yeah. I had a, an appointment at one of these dock-in-the-box places, and a person came in in scrubs, no name tag, didn't introduce himself. I didn't know if he was the phlebotomist or the medical assistant, or, but after he talked, um, it became apparent that he was the doctor. I was really kind of shocked by that treatment, and I'm still kicking myself for not following up with that practice itself and saying, look, I had some concerns with this appointment, and here's what happened, and here's what I think should happen. But if you are treated that way, like if you have that same situation, what do you think you should do? Should you immediately speak to the doctor, or should you call the practice manager later? If it's, again, context, if this is a serious issue and this person starts talking about things that are very important to me, which is my health, though, by the way, and I don't know who they are or what their background is or you know why they're even in the room to begin with, I will stop them right there and say, now, just pardon me one moment. Who are you? And kind yeah. of embarrass them. You know, like, okay, you know, you just waltzed in here. You don't have, uh, you know, you don't have a name tag on. And they really right. should have a yeah. name tag on. I mean, that's sense. like, <laughs> or or they have it on one of those lanyards around their neck and it's flipped backwards. So One of the 20 you know, la- can, little name tags on the one lanyard. Yeah, yeah, right. You can see the barcode on the back, but you can't see their name. Okay, who are you? <laughs> Before we start talking about my such and such, let's establish who you are. I'm probably very impolite, but I'm a little militant about that. Yeah, I don't think I don't that's either. impolite. I don't either. Um, but it's difficult to do when they're going to, when they're about to examine you or they're going to like be poking you. You like, you don't want to make them angry. <laughs> so, and sometimes I wonder in that <laughs> setting, like, is the person just completely overworked and exhausted and maybe there's a way to do it sort of politely. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's concerning. I probably wouldn't go back to that doc in the box. Um, I haven't. You know, just because they obviously, whatever their practice procedures and training, it's just mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. not yeah. up to snuff. But yeah. I, I've had situations where, and I, I told you about this in advance of the show, Marna, where I made an appointment to um, see an orthopedic doctor, got there, and they they told me the appointment was with the uh, PA. And I just was, I wasn't having it. You know, I've had my knee operated on a number of times. I'm, I really feel like I probably know as much as a PA. Yeah. Uh, you know, right. so, yeah. Right. and I told the right. person at the desk, I'm like, I didn't make the appointment, you know, and they, well, the doctor's not in today. And so mm-hmm. I saw the PA um, and I didn't pay for the appointment. I was like, look, I didn't. And they, ch- the crazy thing is they charge the same thing. Do they really? Yeah. Right. Yes, you end mm-hmm. up. I don't mm-hmm. know what they charge the insurance company. I didn't look at that closely, but you end up paying the same copay. And I and I had the practice manager call me. I was like, "Look, I made this appointment." And I told the PA, and he was. I mean, he was lovely. At first, he starts telling me like, "Well, you know, you've had a lot of wear on this knee, and blah blah." I'm like, "Okay, I already know that." You know? Yeah. Right. Right. <laughs> Thanks. I was a college athlete. I've had the knee reconstructed. I'm familiar with all that. I came here to see right. the doctor. This ain't my first rodeo. <laughs> yeah. Like, so he was fine, and he was. He he said, "I understand." I said, "You know, I really wanted. You know, I want the doctor's opinion about what my options are at this time." He was kind of confident in himself. He was totally understand. I'll make sure that they don't charge you. I'll have the the office manager call, and all that happened. And I saw the doctor the next time I went in. So did he send you home with ibuprofen and tell you to rest? <laughs> 
I'm just, I'm just asking. I mean, is that? I may, I'm sorry, Kelly. That's very personal. I shouldn't ask that. On Rest, ice, ibuprofen. <laughs> yeah. No, but anyways, it was just uh, part of me wondered, like, what about your average Joe? Like, do they that's just right. go in and that's see right. this guy who tells them what anybody on the street could tell him? You know what I mean? Uh-huh. I, I just because I let him talk for like ten minutes, and I thought, wow. I could get this off WebMD. <laughs> yeah. Well, you see, that's the thing. The informed patient now can get a long ways. And the key wor- key phrase there is informed patient. You can learn a lot before you even walk through the door. Yeah, you really just have to advocate for yourself in, in a polite manner. Or if you choose not to, just don't go back. Just be like, this isn't the place for me. I'm going to try someplace else. And I have to give a shout out to the staff at Langley Air Force Base Hospital. A couple years ago, I had knee replacement. And the staff and the protocols and the instruction were top-notch. Everybody who came into my room was wearing or scrubs, but a name tag and, and rank. And they always, the charge nurse always wrote his or her name on the whiteboard in my room. It's, my name is uh, Captain so-and-so, and I'll be taking care of you for the next 12 hours. And that tells me that, like you said, Kelly, that top-down instruction and expectations are clear. So yeah. when we see mm-hmm. practices where really sloppy, that tells me the doctors and the practice manager are not doing their job. Exactly. Yeah. Mike, you wanted to say something? Yeah, so Marna, I got to I got to come back at you on this. You used a pejorative term a moment ago. You talked about a doc in a box. And I just want to give a shout out since you gave a shout out. Well, it is a pejorative um, term, you're right. But Okay, okay. Well, I, whoa, whoa, I did whoa, not like on. him. <laughs> okay. All right, Marna, we're all entitled to our feelings, okay? <laughs> he was but rude. You can't can't broad brush the entire genre here, all right? <laughs> Because I just happened to have had uh, experience this week in a urgent care facility, and boy, they treated me brilliantly. Um, it was as quick as it possibly could be. It was professional. Everybody introduced themselves. The results came back. One of the things is, you know, these guys have access to, you know, they're part of a, a larger system, and they got results on a test in an amazing, like 10 minutes. And I'm just like, wow, that's remarkable. So anyhow, I was very impressed, very pleased. And uh, I also have a, a good friend who is a, a doctor in one of those facilities. And uh, I tell you, he'll probably listen to this. And if I if I let this pass, boy, he'd chew me out. So, <laughs> Okay, I just... formally apologize for broad brushing. <laughs> Well, Mar- I wasn't genre. looking. I wasn't looking for like you know mea culpa, mea culpa, Marna. But yes, he was. <laughs> I did make a note here. We talked about in medical settings, uh, respectful address forms of address. But in any professional setting, really, if you're an employee, um, never assume that you can start calling your supervisor by his or her first name. Always start with the most formal until you're told otherwise. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Yeah, that's always the most courteous, respectful, and, you know, safe or conservative approach until the individual tells you otherwise. So start with more formal and then dial it back as as you get permission. Right. Yeah, that sounds good to me. Be an advocate for yourself when you're in other settings, whether it be you know, in a law office, in a physician's office, it is fair. You are a consumer to expect, you know, professionalism and, and basic courtesies. And as Mike said, you ought to see that from the start. And if you don't, perhaps you want to go someplace else. 
Boy, it really makes a difference when you see it from the start. Yeah. It's like anything in life, you know. That first impression is just so precious. And, and when any organization loses on the first impression, boy, they've given away a lot. They got a lot to make up. Yeah, and it tells you really about the organization overall and whether they, you know, have the proper training, instruction, and discipline, because that's really the approach you want to have, especially in the medical profession. Right. And the protocols in place. Yeah. And then the instruction mm-hmm. on the protocols. Correct. And the enforcement of the protocols. Exactly. Let's keep this conversation going. Send us your thoughts to inbox at ethicsandetiquette.com or leave a voicemail at our website ethicsandetiquette.com. We also have an Instagram, at ethicsetiquette. If you want to support what we're doing, subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen to podcasts, and we'd appreciate it if you took time to leave a positive review while you're there. And much gratitude again to our listeners who keep recommending Ethics and Etiquette to your friends, family, and co-workers. For Kelly Halligan-Zimmerman and Mike Derrick, I'm Marna Ashburn, and this is Ethics and Etiquette a thought-provoking dialogue about everyday dilemmas. Thanks for being with us this week, and please join us again. New episodes are posted on the first and third Wednesday of every month. See you then.